This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey there, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, recorded Monday, July 21st, 2014. So, Jason, let's bang this one out because I got a busy couple of days coming up. All right, well, that, that's it then. Let's just go. Sign off. Well, uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone, uh, for The Talking Dead. No, let's not do that. We got some other stuff to talk about first. Episode 170. You forgot to mention that. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. In 170 episodes, that's the first time I forgot to mention the number. That's probably not true. And I like the way you said that uh, it was recorded on with the date. I do. I've I've changed my tune, changed my pattern to do that because it's not really for today because it usually usually doesn't get released today. No, <laughs> it's for us today. Yeah, exactly. Recorded. Everybody else tomorrow. That's right. Recorded Monday, July 21st, 2014, episode number 170. Right. It's probably because of all the confusion last time about the episode number. I got all screwed up. So maybe on 171, I'll get it. I'll get the intro perfect, and we'll go from there. Your brain's on half vacation mode right now. It is. So problem. so that's what's going on. I am officially on vacation from work right now, but I'm getting on an airplane tomorrow to fly very far away, um, and I need to pack, and I need to do some laundry and all that stuff. But you know what? Podcasting comes first. Well, yeah. So here we are recording a podcast. Now... Despite what our announcer said in the intro, this episode of the podcast, I have a good feeling, is only going to be maybe 50% <laughs> about The Walking Dead TV show. Oh, okay. Because of some of the content we have coming up. And, you know, if that's not your thing, then then uh, I guess we'll see you later. But we do have some Walking Dead news, so you, you're going to want to stick around for that. And after that, we are going to do our Melissa McBride spotlight and talk about some of the other stuff in her back catalog of material. Mm-hmm. So you will not be entirely without Walking Dead-related content. But I did want to ask you one thing, Jason. Every now and then when we uh, do this show, and I think yeah. this has only happened once or twice in the history of 170 episodes, uh, we've talked about a movie that was... Just a movie, just unrelated, just a movie we both saw, but I thought it would be fun to talk about for a few minutes. A movie and we both saw, and I guess? Both have seen, and we have one in common right now. So I wanted to bring it up. Do, do, you, one, you, you can guess if you want. Well, we have a lot of movies in common. We've gone to see movies together. Current released, like in theaters right now. Okay, go ahead. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm all at Twitter. I don't know uh, what you're talking about. Uh, unless I'm mistaken, but I'm pretty sure you went and saw Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, right? I did, yes. Saw it at the drive-in theater. Well, tell me a little bit about your drive-in experience. Well, my wife and I, we decided that uh, it was time enough, that uh, it's been a long time since either of us have seen a movie at a drive-in. So we drove for about an hour outside, uh, away from where we live, to find a drive-in theater in, in lovely Lindsay, Ontario. And uh, we parked the car on a slight uphill slope, pointed at this uh, big flat white thing, and eventually they showed a movie on it. And then they showed another movie on it. Wow. It was great. And one of those movies was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It was Dawn of Planet of the Apes. I watched it. You know, to be quite fair, my wife pretty much slept all the way through it. Oh, okay. And she kept waking up and saying, uh, why do they keep making monkey noises? Like, well, there are subtitles, but you're sleeping. <laughs> All right. Well, I saw the movie too. I went, uh, I went and saw it last weekend. 
Yeah. Or maybe the weekend before. It's been out for two weeks already? Well, yeah. It doesn't matter. I saw it la- at least a week ago. And I wanted to get your take. I wanted to hear what you thought of it. Did you like it? Did you like the, the first uh, rise of the Planet of the Apes from a couple of years ago? And do you think this movie was better or worse or what? Well, I, I liked Rise of the Planet of the Apes more than I liked Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Really? And Yes. And I think that I it I might be slightly tainted because watching a movie in a drive-in theater when you haven't seen a movie in a drive-in for a very long time is like sort of like watching a movie on a plane. You you enjoy the movie, but you're also hyper aware of your surroundings, and you can't just I couldn't just let go mm-hmm. and enjoy the movie. I was too aware of you know the uh, the insects outside of the car buzzing around. Like we did, uh, I bought some screen like uh, porch door screen right. and taped it on the outside of the windows so I could roll up and down the windows without uh, the little mosquitoes getting in, <laughs> which was fantastic. guy next to us in a, in a El Camino said that I was a genius. <laughs> I'm like, your car is a genius. <laughs> and uh, so the you know I was hyper aware of the mosquitoes. I was uh, aware of uh, the fact that I was sitting in the car and there was a steering wheel and my wife's asleep next to me. So I think I didn't see it in optimal conditions. And the screen wasn't like the 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 image quality wasn't fantastic either. Like it is a dim, di- digital projector, but the the screen is so flipping huge and so far away from the projector, and it's not uh, you know really theater quality. It's more of an event than it is a theater experience. Sure, I like the drive-in. I enjoyed myself, but I think I would want to see something a little less dependent on. Uh, setting, mood, and visual effects. So, so what you're saying is a drive-in is a great place to go. It's just not great for seeing a movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. I would want to see a comedy. <laughs> there was a, the Melissa McBride movie, I forget what the name of it, was playing behind us, and I wanted to see that. Melissa McBride movie? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, not Melissa McBride. Um, what's her name? She's, uh, I got to, what the hell's her name? Not Melissa McBride. All right. Well, it doesn't matter. Some other comedy movie that you would have preferred to see. Anyways, I wanted to to bring up Dawn of the Planet of the Apes because I thought it was really, really good. Like, maybe I went in with slightly low expectations. I thought Rise was pretty good. But I always have trouble believing um, James Franco in that sort of scientist role. Right. He's, you know, he's not a scientist to me. He's No, he's a pot-smoking dude that you hang out with and... Uh, right. You know, gets his arm caught every now and again. That's right. He works in those roles just fine. But scientist, that doesn't really work for me. Even though I thought the first Planet of the Apes movies from a few years ago was was pretty good. This one I thought was amazing. I thought the the visual effects and the motion capture of the capture of the apes was second to none. Like it was really, really brilliantly done. Everyone, not just Andy uh, Andy Circus is his name, right? But right. everyone, the guy who did the Kobo character and all the apes, really amazing. There was, there, yeah, there was parts that I really liked about it. Like this, the story was good. Uh, I liked the, uh, I did, I liked the the motion capture as well. I thought that was uh, that was really, really good. I just, I, I would, I think I want to see this movie again in the theater. Oh, I recommend it's Melissa it. McCarthy that I'm thinking of. Oh, Tammy. You're thinking of Tammy, right? Tammy, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I recommend seeing it again in a theater. I think you might get way more out of it. Like, I thought it was ama- It was really well, so well written, so well conceived, like how the movie focused on the ape culture and the ape society, and it was really yeah. about their struggle more so than the humans. Yes. And the sort of theme of the inevitability of conflict, I don't know what it was. It really sort of... 
got to me. It really resonated with me that, you know, no matter what they do, even though there's this human character and there's a, an ape character that are trying to trust each other, they're trying to work together, it's just no matter what they do, it all falls apart and and there's there's conflict between the two societies, basically. That's because in any group of humans, there's always some weird jerk that brings a gun when he's not supposed to, and there's always this ape that just kind of screws shit up. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like any system that is too big, there's always elements of it you can't control, right? And that's what sort of they were getting at here. Um, there's that shot in, you know, in the middle of the movie that I won't give away, but it was sort of a longer shot and it was so perfectly done and just so amazing to watch. I, I, it totally blew me away. I went online and I read about it. Apparently it took them 130 kicks at the can to get it right and it was totally a visual effects shot but they had I think it was 130 or maybe it was 1300 something ridiculous like that that the director they made them go through that many iterations of it before he was satisfied with it and you can just tell because it's technically perfect in my opinion Um, and then like the opening shot and the closing shot of this film the way they bookended the movie and again I'm not going to give it away but the the cl- the final shot of this film was like one of the best shots I've seen in years. I think, I think it just it just blew me away, totally floored me. So, I really really like this movie, and I want to watch it again. And I think if you didn't have the greatest experience, you should go to the theater and watch it one more time. Well, you're coming back uh, from overseas in a couple of weeks, and I'll be on vacation. Maybe we could schedule a uh, yeah a meetup. I would get together I, and watch this movie. I would watch it again. Totally, we should do that. I think the other issue is that uh, drive-in theaters are kind of, uh, uh, they, they have to start at dusk. Right. Which is right around my bedtime. <laughs> yeah. So by the time this movie came on, which uh, which is about 1140, uh, you know, I was pretty much a zombie at that point. Anyway. Right. I'm surprised you didn't fall asleep during the movie. No, I had, uh, I brought a thermos full of coffee. I've been in just, a movie theater with you where you fell asleep and I oh. had to kick you awake. <laughs> That was good. <laughs> to be fair, I that, that. that was even later. That was like 2 o'clock in the morning, I think. But Yeah, that was a late movie, and it wasn't a very good movie, if I remember correctly. No, I didn't enjoy it at all, but I at least stayed awake. <laughs> at least you were there to kick me awake. That's true. Like if had you not had been there, I would have been snoring away happily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all good times. Not so happily for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, anyways, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, really great movie, and I just wanted to let everyone know that because I loved it, loved it. Um, all right, let's uh, stop boring people with that and do a little bit of this. The Walking Dead News. Okay, if you're still with us after our digression onto into Planet of the Apes. And if I haven't fallen asleep. <laughs> you're awake so far. So far. We're going to do a little Walking Dead news. A few items here. We'll go through these pretty quick. The first one is that Robert Kirkman, you know him, he's the creator of The Walking Dead after all, Mm -hmm. he was interviewed by Entertainment Weekly about season five, and I pulled out one quote from that interview. It's a bit of a long one, but uh, it's sort of interesting. So, Is it it, a lie? um, You tell me. Listen to it, and then tell me if he's lying, okay? Okay. He says, in our first episode, it's very much going to focus on the story of Terminus. There's a lot of big revelations that haven't really come out, and I think people are going to be pretty startled by it. There's a couple of other revelations that I think people might have gotten a little bit of a lead on. (laughs) We'll definitely be defining those in some cool ways and confirming some theories and shooting down others, which is very exciting. 
But I think that the coolest thing about coming back to season five is that we really hit the ground running. What I mean by that is that we very quickly deal with the situation that we left them in, this trapped victim situation where they're kind of at the mercy of the people of Terminus. We really kind of expand the story from there very rapidly. So I think this is going to be a pretty fast-paced season with quite a bit going on. Um, news is already out that Seth Gilliam has been added, and we're bringing in new characters like we always do, and I think season five is going to be our best season yet. Right. I Any, don't think it's a lie. No lies? I don't. Yeah, well, there might be some half-truths, but I don't think there's any out-and-out -out lies. Well, that's good. It's, Kirkman must be turning over a new leaf. He's trying to tell the truth and be honest with people. Well, I think he's doing that to screw people up. Yeah. Because right? he can't, if he, everything he says is a lie and then he says something that's truthful and everybody believes it to be a lie, then he's got you twice. What I think was funny at the beginning of this quote is when he said, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of big revelations that haven't really come out yet and people are going to be very surprised. And then he says, and there's a couple other revelations that I think pipe, people might have gotten a little bit of a lead on. <laughs> you know, so he's, He's yeah. clearly, in my mind, referring to the cannibal thing and how everyone assumes they're cannibals. And yeah. he's pr pretty much saying, yeah, they're cannibals. Right. You know? I think uh, I, what this leads me to believe is that the whole Terminus storyline is probably going to be wrapped up. Like, I don't think they're going to stay there very long. No, I don't think so either. It sounds like... I have a feeling this first episode, based on this this quote, is going to be about... Not just our characters that we know that are stuck in the train car, but the Terminus people. Like, I think we're going to get Terminus backstory all in this one episode. And we'll probably get a bunch of scenes with Terminus people that don't have anything. There may be flashbacks or maybe happenings and goings on outside the train car while everyone else is still stuck in the train car. Right. Which is interesting and, you know... I would say maybe a tough sell for fans of the show who just want to see their heroes. They want to see how they escape. And here we are being forced to sit through all this stuff with new characters we've never met before, we don't know anything about. Um, especially, and especially for a season premiere, too, for the first episode back, after yeah. there's been you know eight months of, of pent-up demand for, for finding out what's going on. Um, but you're right, I think... You know, that aside, it is going to all happen pretty fast. We're going to learn a bit about Terminus, and then we're going to be done with it. And everyone's going to have escaped and fled off into the forest and go from there. Can you imagine the opening, the cold open being the group of survivors running away from Terminus and <laughs> how they dealt with it is all flashbacks? That would be cool. I, you know, I would not hold it. I mean, I would not be totally surprised if the cold open is a totally confusing scene with everybody, like no sign of Terminus, no sign of a train car, they're out in the forest, maybe not running away, maybe they're just in camp or something like that, and they're talking about where to go next. We go to credits and we come back and we're back at Terminus and we see how they got to that point. Or they're all sitting in lawn chairs around a campfire drinking beer and laughing. <laughs> That'd really screw you up. It really what would. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have no idea. It's going to be one of those show the ending first episodes and and then go back and show how they get to that point right yeah either they'll all be happy sitting around the campfire drinking beers or there'll be something really serious and dangerous going on and we have no context for it and right. then we show are shown how they get to that point or they're all chowing down on uh, what looks like big cuts of meat and uh, someone says uh, pass me a bit of tyrese <laughs> there you go that revelation is going to come real fast yeah 
real they're gonna fast. they're gonna say hey if you want to stay here you have to be cannibals and they're all like yeah <laughs> kill Tyrese and Eugene and let's get on with it because who doesn't want to eat those guys yeah well we will see we're only a few short months now away from October and that's when we find out mm-hmm. okay next item in the news Telltale season two episode four of the video game the title is amid the ruins mm-hmm. and it has a release date of october 13th no 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 it's uh tomorrow oh <laughs> it is <laughs> july 22nd on the ps3 the ps vita the pc and the mac it's july 23rd on the xbox and july 24th for ios so in the next three days the whole shooting match is released wow so in case you hadn't heard yet, and you're a big fan of Telltale's The Walking Dead, the next episode comes out this week, and it's called Amid the Ruins. I will be playing it, but not right away, since I'll be on a plane tomorrow. Bring your Xbox. Bring uh, your Xbox and a, a computer monitor. Go buy an adapter, and a uh, you'll never get a generator on board, I'm afraid. Uh, no. Some... You could ask for, uh, you could bump yourself up to first class and get a power outlet. Do they not have power outlets in cattle class? I don't think so. Oh, good Lord, no. No. Well, that's probably not going to happen. I'll probably just leave it here. And uh, when I get back, I will be able to look forward to playing season two, uh, season two, episode four. Nice. And then we'll talk about it on the show, probably. Mm-hmm. All right. That's that. Season five. Back to season five of the TV show. We all know San Diego Comic-Con is coming up this week. And last time we talked about the panel and all the exclusives you can get. Well, there's been official confirmation. AMC came out and said it that at the panel, we will be releasing a season five trailer. As everyone kind of knew anyways, but they made it official. So I just wanted to reiterate it. Stay tuned to the internet if you are not at San Diego Comic-Con. That's right. If you're not there with your eyeballs on the screen... In real life. (laughs) Watching the screen. Eyeballs watching the screen, not eyeballs on the screen. I guess so. Watching the screen. That's July 25th. That is this Friday. We'll have the season five trailer for uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. And that's a Friday. So I'm thinking we will probably take the weekend, you and me, to watch it 25 times or so, digest it, break it down. At least that's what I'll be doing. You'll probably watch it once or twice. Yep. And then on Monday, a week from tonight, we'll record a podcast where we just dissect that sucker and uh, leave, leave it for dead. Yes. What do you say? I say good things about that. All right. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this one goes because of you know how our characters are locked in that train car. No matter what they show us, unless it's four minutes of them in that train car, they're going to be, I guess, admitting that people are going to get out of this thing alive. Or like you say, it's all Terminus people. Like the whole thing is Terminus people discussing these uh, these jerks in the train car that are doing whatever they're doing. But uh, it could, yeah, it could be Denise Richards and the, the crew over there completely, you know, don't even touch the, the main characters. Denise Crosby? Crosby, that's it. Right. Denise Richards. I'm good. I'm okay with first names, but <laughs> the last names seem to elude me tonight. You're having trouble tonight. Uh, D- is Denise Richards somebody? Is that the woman from Wild Things? I don't know. The, yeah, she's the annoying one. Uh, she <laughs> was on. Uh, she was in uh, Love Actually. Denise. Okay. Right at the end. Richards. I don't know. 
Uh, well, anyways, Denise Crosby. We, we might talk about her a little bit more later, I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah, Denise Richards is the... Uh, yeah, she was in... What do we got here? Jolene Hoare. Oh, good. <laughs> she played Rebecca in Hoare. Good. Nice. Who uh, knows if Rebecca is the whore or not. Anyways, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, don't miss it. Coming out on Friday, July 25th, I guess sometime after the, the panel at San Diego Comic-Con. Watch it. Send us your comments. Send us your thoughts. We want to know what you think about it. So when we break it down on Monday, we can incorporate some of your opinions. Send your email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or give us a call at one 483 9662 or go to the website and click on send voicemail. Star, Starship Troopers she was in. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, and Wild Things. Yeah. And Whore. Good. And, you uh, said you mentioned that one. Yeah. <laughs> I never even knew there was a movie called Whore. Yeah, well, you're going to have to look it up now. Whore in 2004. The Whore in 04, baby. That's, what the, that's what the working title was. It's a Spanish movie. Okay. Um, one more note here that this isn't really news, but it kind of relates to news, so I'm keeping it in the news section. Okay. And that is just about the fact that there are spoilers galore for season five currently on the internet. As we've talked about before, there are people out there that are that seem to have unrestricted access to the set or... They can get close enough and use like super lenses on their cameras and take pretty good pictures of what's going on. We have seen most of the actors doing stuff, most of the locations as far as I can tell, um, and they're just new pictures coming every single day. And I just wanted to point out that we could, you know, report on all those. We could talk about all of them, but it feels like it's just a little too spoilery, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, and I'm glad that uh, you don't want to report on these. I mean, the information's out there. If you want it, go find it. That's exactly it. If you want to, if you want to be, you know, that close to the production, you're welcome to go find it. But I personally don't want to be that spoiled. We already get spoiled, you know, in other ways a fair bit because because we do this show, which is fine, comes with the job. But you know, it's weird. It's just there's so many out there. If you were wondering why we sort of don't dig into those. It's just because it's there if you want it, and it's not for everybody. So, uh, you know, you can find it if you need to. Yeah. All righty. Um, we got one email from a listener. That's it for the news. As you can see, there's not a lot of news going on. I think it'll be fun next week when we get to break down the trailer. Um, and maybe there'll be no more news then. But moving right along, we have one email from a listener. That's really quick, but I am obliged to play this. Listener feedback. Because how else would you know what's coming? I only say it like 25 times. <laughs> yeah, well, we need the bumper. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so this is in response. This is from Lori on the internet. Lori's a longtime Patreon supporter of hers. Big thank you to her. And this is an email regarding your idea from last week, Jason, about the, the gang could create a human pyramid in the train car. Right. <laughs> Do you remember saying that? Vaguely. Vaguely. Well, Lori writes, what if instead Rick's crew do the rock the boat maneuver in order oh. to escape? You know what I mean. Everyone runs to the right side of the car. Then they all run to the left side of the car. Then back to the right side of the car. Eventually, it will momentum will tip it. You know I'm kidding, right? Just had this vivid image that I wanted to share. What, what do you mean kidding? That would work. Would it? Yeah. It's called sympathetic vibrations. It's... Uh, 
it's when you push somebody on a swing, it's the same kind of thing. It's just when the momentum goes that way, you add a little bit of energy to it and it keeps, uh, keeps going. Yeah. Rock the train car. That's, uh, I think it's a fantastic idea. But then you're you, just stuck in a train car on its side. Oh God, no. Once that train car goes over, then, uh, wood flies everywhere and they probably kill a couple of them, but, uh, I'm sure this thing would crack right open like an egg. It's made of metal, not wood. I'm, I think well, it's it would, more. It would crumple and kill them all and then wouldn't open. Really? I don't know. I think it would be like, I know, I look think. At, look at when trains go off the tracks and how what of a what a wreck that is. I know, but they're moving forward usually. They're traveling at, you know, 20, 80 kilometers an hour. Who knows? 20, 80. <laughs> okay, so, so what? Like, so at least they tried and they did something. And yeah. hell, they knocked a train car over. That's something to be proud of right there. It is, and at least it causes the terminus people to be like what the hell guys come on that was our best train car you're not supposed to knock that <laughs> sucker over that was our fanciest train car yeah we painted that special we put a big a on it and everything that's right well you know i think that uh if there's some sort of hatch in the top of the train car i think that's maybe what Lori was getting at that if they couldn't get out that hatch any other way if they knocked it over they'd be able to get out of the hatch see that works too of course the human pyramid would be probably easier <laughs> <laughs> or maybe true. somebody on somebody else's shoulders. But no matter what, it would certainly cause some panic and some chaos. And I think it's at least an idea worth investigating next time you're stuck in a train car with a crowd of people. I think they should try both. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Lori, for sending that in. Okay, Jason, it's going to, we've already gotten to our Melissa McBride spotlight, and we're only like, I don't know, 25 minutes in here. Nice. Isn't that crazy? Good. Let's just uh, let's just plow through. This is going to give me some time to get ready to go tomorrow, and uh, and and get packed and do laundry and all that stuff. That's fancy. So Melissa McBride, we have got a bunch of stuff that we watched from her back catalog, and why don't we start with Mutant Species from 1995? Mutant Species. Okay. Yeah. So this was a movie. Um, <laughs> And, and that use that term loosely, my friend. <laughs> I kind of do. <laughs> yeah, good. But what I was going to say is it's about a group of U.S. military who are sent into the forest to recover something that crashed. Well, recover a crashed uh, space shuttle. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they and recover something from the space shuttle, which is some sort of mutant virus that... Uh, that ends up infecting one of them, and he turns into a giant monster going on a killing spree. Right. Uh, this movie was terrible. What did you think it of it? It was absolutely horrible. And <laughs> once again, Denise Crosby is in this. Yes. That's yeah. why I mentioned her earlier. So Melissa McBride, really not in it. <laughs> she was sort of in it. Did she even have a line? I think she had one line as she was walking away holding a, holding a kid saying, don't worry, it'll be okay. Grandpa's yeah. coming back later or something like that. Um, in fact... Wilford Brimley. Yeah, Wilford Brimley. He was the grandfather. He was in it. He was. He was pretty good. Now, I, I should say, of all the things we chose, I choose chose poorly because Melissa was in all of these things, but not very much in some Not of very them. much. And it seemed like you chose uh, a lot of movies that were long. This took a long time to get through all Well, of to be fair, you did leave everything till the last day. If you'd spread it out, it wouldn't have felt so long. Well, yeah, but it's still. 
Do you? But do you always leave our spotlights to the last day? Yeah, I want to have the information fresh in my mind. I do it for the listeners. <laughs> okay. Well, then that's okay. I didn't find this was all that long. Like, we've watched more actual movies before of people. Yeah, no, it's okay. It just seems like it was, uh, it just took all day. Okay, so mute. <laughs> well, you did do it in one day. Mutant Species, Denise Crosby, who plays Mary on The Walking Dead, this would have been a better choice for her if we ever do a spotlight, because she was in a good 50% of the movie and had a vital part. That's right. <laughs> Melissa McBride, one minute, no lines. <laughs> Although she was there. Well, you, one little line, one little mumbly line that probably was ad libbed. And not in the script. Just Pro- say something soothing to the child was probably what it said in the script. Probably, yeah. Anyways, this movie was was terrible. I mean, it was just stupid. Um, and I didn't really get anything out of it. Uh, one thing that bothered me right at the beginning... I, okay, here, let me ask you this question. So right at the beginning, we see shots of the space shuttle launching and the mission of the space shuttles to deliver this... Um, biological entity into space so it can't yeah. do any harm on Earth. Right. And then we see, uh, we have a bunch of shots of this military team in the cargo military plane yep. in the air while the shuttle is launching. So I didn't understand. Were they flying around in the air to be ready to like scramble in case the space shuttle crashed and they had to go recover it? Uh, I think that was the idea. I mean, it it's the wrong thing to do because the space shuttle flies at like Mach 15, so it's going to travel a lot farther, a lot faster, and this friggin' plane can go. Yes. Wherever it is. So and this isn't this isn't a real-life thing. Like, every time... Not, the space shuttles are retired in real life, but every time they used to launch a space shuttle, they didn't have, like, recovery teams in the air just to be safe, just in case? I don't think they had them in the air. I think they had, uh, you know, various bases around the world on standby. Sure. They probably had alerts out. It's like, okay, you know, space shuttle's flying. You know, it's going to go around the planet in the next 15 minutes because it travels super fast. Well, not that fast. It takes 90 minutes once they get into orbit. But anyway, they probably have different bases around the world just on alert, just in case. Okay, the plane shuttle had a problem here. All right, the closest base is, uh, you know, Air Force Base uh, Pakachawan 45. Just making that name up. It's a good name Uh, for an Air Force base. You know, let's scramble some, you know, various aircraft and go check it out all right well i didn't really get that in this movie i'm like why are these guys what what are they doing is it related to the space shuttle takeoff or not and then it turns out that they were in the air to go recover this thing if it crashed i think yeah well maybe it was a you know a a space shuttle plane maybe it was like a chaser space shuttle supersonic right uh you know really big super plane the, the biggest problem i had with these guys in the plane was that they were sitting there and they were the dialogue was just absolutely horrible and almost completely unlistenable. It's funny. I made a similar note. I, I thought they really, really tried hard to, like, go for that stereotypical, glamorized, like, rough, yeah. macho military guy feeling, right? And it's like they chose these guys because of uh, the fact that they were horrible, horrible, horrible actors. <laughs> and they just they took lines that were crappy to begin with and made them worse. Yeah, but then they gave them, like, cigars to smoke, one of them. And, you know, they put on Grand Funk Railroad. I'm, we're an American band. Like, that was the best part of the movie. It was. It's a good Pressing song. Pressing play on that tape deck was the best part of the movie. Absolutely. It was a great, it's a great song, but it's We're just... coming to your town. We're going to help you party down. <laughs> 
Right. But it's just so, so typical, you know, yeah. making dick jokes. And these are real macho guys. Like, I, that bothered me, too. I'm like, this is just stupid. The biggest problem I had with these guys was they were all sitting on the plane, and then they, there was a problem with the space shuttle, and they told them to suit up. So like they, they put have their a change room on. on the plane. I, yeah. Like, I, they'd be I, suited up by the time they got on the plane. And then really. to parachute out, they launched them out of tubes. Is that a real thing? No, God, no. They don't, they don't put guys in tubes and drop them out of a plane. No. They, they open the door in, and they jump. In uh, Starship Troopers, the, the 1950s novel by Robert, Robert A. Heinlein. Okay. But they don't do that in real life. They open the back and they jump out. Right. That's what I'm thinking. There's no launch tubes for people. No, but, but so then again, dumb. you know, maybe it's a space shuttle plane. Maybe it's a super high-tech plane that's supposed to chase the space shuttle, and they launch them out of tubes because they might be outside of the atmosphere when they need to jump. Maybe. And maybe they have like seven or eight different outfits each, depending on the situation. You know, if the plane is flying underwater, they have to put on their scuba suits. <laughs> if they're flying in outer space, they have to put on their space suits. This is the most versatile plane ever. Right, it's so that's submarine. the only thing I could think of is this is some kind of weird high-tech plane uh, that, uh, you know, they just need to deal with these situations. Oh, it's so dumb. We're not even, like, past the opening 10 minutes of the movie yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb. Uh, Melissa McBride's outfit and hair at the birthday party was so 80s awesome. I will give her that. Yeah. She really looked like she stepped out of the 80s. This movie um, was 1995, and it's hard to believe. Oh, it's really hard to believe. I know. This is, it, it's like it was filmed in 1986 and then put on a shelf for nine years, and then they released it. It could have been. I, I, I don't know. It sure had that feeling. I don't know. Melissa McBride is probably younger than that. She, yeah. What year was she born? I don't know. Look it up if you want. Um, something else. Once they get onto the ground, they don't seem to know have any idea where they are, these military guys. Yeah. No idea where they are. Um and then when they do find the downed shuttle, the the leader guy's like, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. First thing he does, he walks over, he touches it. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, he's a professional, uh, you know, uh, some kind of special forces guy that uh, is very good at his job. And, uh, he, you know, what's the first thing you do when you see something that's unknown to you? You touch it. Touch it and let the slimy thing crawl into your skin just leave your hand there, let it get in, you know, don't pull it away or anything. No, that, that's fine. I believe that. Okay. That you believe. That you're okay with. Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right. Um, Mr. Frost, I like how the, like, cold, heartless bastard of a military or politician guy was named Mr. Frost. Yeah. <laughs> Powers Booth. Good Lord. That's right. Good name, though. Now, my favorite character in the whole thing was the kid, Jordy. When they meet up with uh, Denise Crosby later and Jordy, he's like this wisecracking kid, and he's a better survivor in the forest than any of these highly trained military guys. That's he, true. He can track them. He can follow them, know exactly what they're doing, hide from them, get away, and he explains it by saying, this is my forest. Well, it is his forest. He's, he's, the, he's the dude. He is the dude in the forest, that is for sure. Um, and then we should talk about the monster just a little bit. Um, super cheesy. And unkillable, of course, like they all are, yep. you know. And I'm going to ruin the ending of this movie. So they Please. eventually they eventually get, uh, everyone's dead except for our main character, Denise Crosby, the kid, and the monster, pretty much. Yeah. Yep. And they get the monster in a building, sort of trapped, 
and he's about to kill our main character, whose name I can't remember. And then the kid shows up out of nowhere, shoots the monster with a shotgun, and then they've rigged the building to explode and basically incinerate it. Right. Which, cool plan. You know, I'm on board with that. And they do it. So they run out of there, the kid and the guy. Monster is inside after being shot with a shotgun. Building goes up like in an inferno. And you think, great, they got it. Everything's good. And then they're walking back through the forest to go pick up Denise Crosby. And who's there? Monster. Yep. <laughs> Monster's got her, and he's, like, holding her. He's not just killing her like he does with everyone else. He's holding her. And um, then our hero, the main guy of the film, reasons. He proceeds to reason with the monster, appeal to what's left of his humanity, because remember, one of the other military guys turned into the monster, yep. and he convinces the monster to let her go and blow himself up. Smart. Oh, my God. <laughs> the dumbest thing. This was thing. a really bad movie. It's the dumbest the Was dumbest it direct to video? Ever. Like, this kid couldn't have made it to theaters. No, I don't think it could have either. It was just so bad. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, absolutely horrid, 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 horrid movie. Well, I'm, I'm really kind of sad you made me watch it. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. But, you know, we do it. Uh... Oh, and then how the uh, space shuttle launch was, or the space shuttle rocket was called the Icarus. Right. Except they couldn't pronounce Icarus in this movie, Jason. No, no, it's Icarus. Yeah, the guy at the beginning said Icarus, and then later Wilford Brimley said Icarus, or something like that, <laughs> or Icarus. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, apparently nobody, including uh, maybe maybe the writer, uh, was the only one that was aware of Greek mythology. Everybody else just... You know, didn't study any kind of Greek mythology. Icarus, not I Icarus or Icarus. It could have been Icarus. So dumb. Maybe that's the right pr pronunciation. And you and I are out to lunch. Oh, that's in our be Canadian ways. Icarus, pff, Canadians. Yeah, those idiots up north. I don't know. It could be. I'm if we are, I'm sure someone will let us know. Yeah. All right, that's enough about mutant species. Don't watch it. Uh, unless you're like the biggest Denise Crosby fan in the world, and then watch it for her. No, then watch something else that she's in. Go watch Pet Cemetery. Go watch the first season of Star Trek. Something. All right, something better. The, the next generation. The Dangerous the Lives of Alter Boys. How about that one next? All right, perfect. Uh, you start. What did you think of this movie? You know what? I kind of like this movie in a weird kind of way, but uh, yeah, I you know I like Jodie Foster. She played a nun. Yeah, I didn't love her role in this, though. I feel like she played a typical, well, not a typical nun, a, car a caricature of a nun. Yeah, a caricature of a really nasty nun, you know? She had no, so we should, I guess we should briefly outline the plot. We got uh, two boys at a, at a uh, boarding Catholic school, and this is their story of kind of growing up and experiencing things that teenagers experiencing ex experience experimenting with booze and drugs and sex and all that kind of stuff and uh and they go through they hatch a plan to 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 do something i guess we can spoil it they hatch a plan to steal a panther from the zoo right <laughs> and uh take it and put it in the nuns living quarters right cuz what else would you do with a panther and a nun Put them together. Put them together. Yeah, exactly. That's there's a there's a great movie in that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I I gotta say I kind of like this too. But I was saying about um, Jodie Foster, I feel like she was just sort of a caricature of 
uh, a really mean nun. There wasn't very much personality to her, I didn't think. Well, no, but I, I, you know, I like Jodie Foster, and I thought she did a, an okay job. I thought the character was a little wooden, like you say. It was a little wooden and flat, but mm-hmm. I think Jodie Foster, I don't think it's her fault. Really, well, they told her, you know, you know, she's a she's a nun, and uh, she really doesn't like what these boys are doing, and thinks they're all going to hell. You know, there wasn't a lot of depth to her character. That's fine. You know, Vincent D'Onofrio, I like him. He played a. I like. I really liked his role. Yeah, he's this priest that just doesn't care and uh, is a smoker, which I like. I like priests that smoke for some reason. <laughs> all right. And uh, doesn't he say Jesus H Christ right at the beginning? He does. And then the one kid asks him, "What does the H stand for?" <laughs> what, did, what did the answer? I don't think he did answer him. Good. I don't know. You know, you shouldn't know. <laughs> no, that's right. But Kieran Culkin and Emil Hirsch, like young, uh, young versions of both of these people, of course, they were right. the two main boys, and they were both really good. Yes, they were. They were both really good. Um, and what I liked about this movie, because I kind of liked it too, um, what I liked about it is there's all these animated sections. And the animated sections, because, well, they were there because these boys were sort of into comics. They One of them drew comics a lot. So this was kind of like their alter superhero alter egos. And this was that story, right? And yeah. and I thought they did a really good job of of connecting those two. The stuff that their superhero alter ego, egos were doing in the, super, in the animated sections really kind of outlined the same themes and struggles that they were going with in their real lives. Mm-hmm. And I thought this movie did a good job of portraying that. It wasn't like these animated parts weren't just throwaways. They weren't there for no reason. They did a good job of sort of reinforcing what we were seeing in the actual boys' lives. And I thought that was really well done. Um, but on the other hand, there was I felt like there was too much in this movie that was taken a bit to extremes, right? Like these kids are teenagers. They're they're drinking. They're smoking. You know, Emil Hirsch is is uh, is in love with this girl, and we see sort of some of the go- happenings and goings on with that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was a little too much at times. It was it was you know, kids go through these sorts of things for sure, but this was just taken too far a little bit. It, it was. I thought these. Uh, I I agree with you. I think that uh, what was going on in these kids' lives. I think they took it a little too extreme. Like they drank a little too much, right? Well, I don't know about that. I remember being young and, uh, you know, my whole world was, how do I get drunk tonight? You know, mind you, I was in grade seven at the time. (laughs) Yeah, these guys are probably 16, 17 years old. Yeah. Older than grade seven, right? That's true. I guess. And, uh, you know, I was smoking and drinking and doing drugs when I was, uh, you know, when I was very, very way too young, grade seven. But grade eight. I, but to this, not to this degree, probably. Like I feel like these kids were, like they always had booze around. They were always drinking beers, and you know, um, the, the some of the the capers they pulled. Like See, they, the capers is where it falls apart for me. Like the 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 smoking and the drinking and the drugs. Uh, I I there was in grade seven when I was in grade seven, and I st- it was the first time I started smoking. I quit smoking in grade eight until I got. I finished high school and then I started smoking again. You have the weirdest anyway, life. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, a weird childhood. There was, uh, there was a surprising amount of alcohol around. Like okay. when, uh, there was a lot. Like I, I don't know where it came from. I'm not entirely sure where it all came from, but uh, there was, there was every weekend and every, uh, all the time. Like it was just like 
there was always a party in the woods somewhere where we would drink and smoke. Uh, somebody, I think a, a friend of ours made uh, choke cherry wine. He made his own wine and we had like gallons of this stuff <laughs> he was because he was seven. an industrious little bastard that, uh, you know, knew how to figure out how to make wine and he made wine. That's bizarre. It was bizarre. And we got hammered on it all the time. I puked into a fire. <laughs> Did the fire go out? I don't remember. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'll take your word for it. So maybe that's fine. But but then it, get to the capers, right? Like they they hoist the the uh, uh, Mary statue off of the roof of the school. Like no no kids could do that. That'd be difficult to do. It was the first caper that uh, that made me think. Yeah, there's no way. What they did was they were using trigonometry to uh, figure out where a telephone pole was going to fall, and they cut it down with a chainsaw. Like cutting down a telephone pole with a chainsaw is a is a serious criminal offense. See, I really. that I can almost believe more because access to a chainsaw is is easy. Like your your dad has a chainsaw probably. You walk into the garage, you pick it up. They learn they were learning about trigonometry in school, so they were learning about where this thing would fall. Knowing how to cut the post to direct the fall isn't that far beyond the realm of possibility. I mean, standing right just outside the fall zone and and having it come down right at your feet—that's nuts. But yeah, but I but access to all this stuff is, I think, within the realm of possibility that they need. Getting like a hoist and a winch and up onto the roof of the school and disconnecting the statue from whatever it was attached to and hoisting it up and hoisting it down and then taking it away. Like, that's like, come on, where do they get all this stuff? How do they get it? How how are they strong enough to pull this off? You know, why is well, nobody that, calling the police? That's where pulleys come in. A little bit of block and tackle, you could, you know, enough rope and enough pulleys, you could lift the world. Sure, but I don't think teenagers are that smart. Well, then maybe they were learning about, uh, you know, levers because a, a pulley is just essentially a lever. Yeah, fine. Um, and then the final caper of of stealing the uh, the panther from the zoo, that's going a little far. That was way too beyond, uh, you know, grade school. Like, uh, let's figure out how to drug this panther and not kill it is, uh, you know, serious. The panther would die. That's master criminal level. <laughs> Right. That is mask. It's it's beyond my capabilities to figure out. Sure. And uh, you know, if I was going to make a uh, first of all, I don't think you could buy a blowgun in Canada. In you know the first the first item. Second of all, uh, I wouldn't know what drugs to shoot a panther based well, on weight. They didn't either. To be fair, they went and bought as much Sudafed or whatever as they could find. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. It's not fast acting. I mean, I've taken Sudafed and been kind of sleepy, but. It didn't knock me out. No. Well, Not a yeah. tranquilizer. That's right. You know, as long as the, you know, the, basically if they shot the panther with Sudafed, uh, the worst thing that would happen is they would just have to explain to the panther that it shouldn't drive. And that's about <laughs> it. Please do not operate any heavy machinery for the next don't, 48 don't, hours. Yeah, don't drive. You got some drugs in your system. Right. Well, that, that I mean, that's where it was kind of crazy. And then... I don't know if we need to go into it, but the whole subplot with the girl that Emile Hirsch was in uh, in love with, yeah. I didn't see how that added to the movie in any way, to be honest with you. I mean, they needed to show one of these characters sort of, you know, discovering girls, falling in love, whatever. And, and then they threw in the twist there that 
I didn't get at all. Although her brother, that car- that girl's brother, was uh, played by Arthur Bridges. Any recollection of him? Any idea where you've seen him before? Uh, no, I did not recognize him. Another character on The Walking Dead. Oh. He played Crowley, one of the governor's men who got killed in the forest. Right. I recognized him was like, I know that guy from somewhere. I don't know if it was Walking Dead, but as soon as I looked him up, oh, it's Crowley. There he is. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and then we should really quickly mention Melissa McBride. She is in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> she plays one of the kids, one of the boys' mothers. She has one scene. Uh, or maybe one and a half scenes, and that half scene is just the back of her head sitting at the dinner table. <laughs> no, but then she says uh, something. I think she says, uh, your friend Francis is here, or your friend something is here. Right, okay, you're point. right. So she has another one line in this film. That's right. I chose Completely poorly. non-consequential line. That's right, totally. Um, but she did a nice job with it, and she had full hair, right? Yep. Which is unusual for her. She, good. she usually rocks the super short haircut. Yeah. All right. So I liked The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys more or less. You just have to kind of put reality aside for a second and enjoy what you're seeing on screen. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Lost Crossing. Here is a 2007 short film that we watched on YouTube in three parts. And this one is about a girl teenage girl she's running away from home she's on a bus the bus breaks down and she befriends uh sheila who is played by melissa mcbride Mm -hmm. and uh you know hijinks ensue i suppose hijinks yeah craziness craziness um they uh this is a short film had a real movie of the week kind of or or after school special sort of feeling right did you did you get that from this one it did have a kind of an after-school special kind of feeling to it. Uh, the biggest problem I had with this is uh, where in the continental United States would a bus break down and everybody be stranded for three days? They would send another bus. Sure. Uh, did I write down what year this was from? 2007. So, yeah, people had phones then. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you don't get stranded in a town because your bus breaks down, right? Okay. But that aside, I mean, they needed a location for the film. They needed a place for stuff to happen. And it does. Right. So, you know, you know, uh, making an airport in December, right? And then you get a hotel room because that's what people do in airports in December when there's a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, whatever. So, uh, yeah, so Melissa McBride befriends this, uh, this girl. And uh, are we going to spoil this? Yes. Why not? Okay. Melissa McBride plays, uh, her character is uh, a bit crazy. Turns out she's a bit nuts. So at first she seems fine. They, you know, they have fun. They go bowling. They're they're hanging out, you know, and so on. Um, but then Melissa starts the character Sheila starts, you know, displaying some a little bit of weird traits. And as it turns out, she had a daughter that I guess passed away, and she's kind of projecting this uh, this this new girl she meets, whose name I can't remember, um, but she's kind of projecting her daughter onto her and wants to mother her and ends up yep. being a real wacky, crazy whack job. Yeah, she's off the deep end. And I thought she played crazy really well. Yes. I didn't love this movie. I didn't hate it. I just It just kind of was. But Melissa was good in it. She, it, makes me want to, it makes me want Carol to go a little crazy. 
Well, Carol, not that she's not there already, Carol, but I just, you know, a little more over the top where she is not just doing kind of covertly crazy things that sort of make sense in kind of some kind of twisted reality. I want her to go, you know, batshit crazy nuts and just be this character that's way off the deep end that uh, you love, but really think that she needs to take a bullet in the head just to calm the group down a little bit. Now that Rick is back in, he's on the sane bicycle or whatever you called it, we need a character to go into crazy town and why not Carol? Yeah, and I think she would do a, a fantastic job of uh, riding a uh, a penny farthing right into crazy town. <laughs> well, Melissa McBride certainly did it here, so I, I think you may be onto something there. Um this there was a tuba joke at the beginning of this movie that I thought was funny. Did you pick up on that? I missed the tuba joke. Oh Remind no, me. they're sitting. Or I just you know glossed over it mentally. They're sitting there in in the motel room, and I don't know. They're talking something about uh, maybe the girl was in uh, liberal arts, studying liberal arts, and then someone in the next room starts playing a tuba. And I just <laughs> right. thought it was the timing was funny, and and it was uh, it was pretty good. It was sort of a you know, tubas are the typical wah, 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 yes, right? That so, was funny. <laughs> it was just sort of a commentary on uh, liberal arts, but funny nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, our, our hero girl in this one eventually drugs Melissa McBride to get rid of her and sneaks away and gets back on the bus and leaves. And then at the very end, we see a shot of Melissa... Seemingly normal again, sitting in a train station with her eyes on another little girl, uh, younger this time. And you think, oh no, it's all happening again. But then the girl's mother comes, takes her away, and poor Melissa is left sitting by herself in an empty train station. Yeah. Sole occupant of Crazy Town. Yeah, she's going to be there a while, it looks like. You can check this one out on YouTube if you want. It's not terrible. It's weird. Um, But it's... Nothing to write home about either. But Melissa's performance is pretty good. As a cra- mm-hmm. crazy, I would agree with that. Crazy lady. All righty. Let's talk about American Gothic. So this mm-hmm. is an episode of a TV show called American Gothic that we watched. Season one, episode five, I think. That's right. Yep. It was called Dead to the World. Um, what do you think? Could you even understand this episode? <laughs> it sort of made sense. Uh, you know, I understood there was a larger storyline going on here. And I think uh, Gary Cole was playing, uh, you know, a crazy person uh, that, you know, not some people believed he's a crazy person. Some people didn't. And this was a bit of his backstory. Yeah. Gary Cole, the guy from Office Space. The guy from Office Space. I think of him as the vice president from the West Wing. Oh, really? Vice, vice yeah. president on West Wing? No, I think Well, he him. was. he became the vice president on the West Wing when the first vice president had to step down because of an affair that he had with a, uh, a tennis player. Okay. Well, Gary Cole here, I think of him as the guy from Office Space. He is really creepy and sleazy in this this TV show. Oh, he's creepy and sleazy and everything. But he in this, he's, the, he's also the sheriff. He's like the sheriff of police. Yeah. And you're like, this sheriff of police is supposed to be an upstanding, good model citizen but this guy's just creepy and sleazy and weird and i get that we don't really know what's going on because we watched one episode in the middle of a tv season um but it didn't it didn't really work for me the other problem was melissa mcbride's in this she's in the first scene but then she dies in the cold open (laughs) big hair lots of screaming (laughs) yeah dressed as a nurse yeah but she dies in the cold open so gary cole he gets her in a car. They seem to be in some sort of relationship. And then he drives the car off a bridge into the river. 
Well, he has to kill her. I, I guess he has to. She knew about his love child. She found out that he had that the, the child that she's been babysitting or caring for in some way is actually his child, and he can't have anybody know about that and therefore has to kill her. And this was the best way to do it was to drive off a bridge. And and hope he survives, but she oh, drowns. He's Gary, he's Gary Cole. Of course he's going to survive. All right, I guess so. Um, I also thought there was, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I also thought there was something supernatural in this show. Because there's a scene where he drives by a guy's house in a car and just kind of looks at him and gives him a funny look. And then the dude falls down and cuts his arm off on his table saw. And I feel like his presence there... I don't know if that was supernatural. I think he just gave him the stink eye. And the stink eye is a very powerful thing in everyday life. Yeah. Not just, you know, in a supernatural kind of way. It's just like, you give somebody the stink eye, they're going to get, you know, a little bit jumpy and weird things are going to happen. And they're going to fall down on their table saw. It happens. I don't know. I got the feeling there was something supernatural going on here. Like, he made that guy, you know, grab for the wood on one side of the wall, but then lose his grip and stumble backwards and fall onto the saw. You got to be careful with uh, with power tools. Like, you well, know, they're sure. dangerous. Yes, they are. Um, but I don't know. I don't know about that because that was the only scene that struck me as supernatural, but maybe there's more to it. I don't know. Um, right at the beginning, uh, the worst kiss ever between Gary Cole and uh, Melissa. Oh, I don't know about that. Worst, worst kiss oh ever. My. Go back and watch Bridget Jones' Diary. Hold on. Let me I've find out seen the- that movie. But this was the worst. Like, I don't know if he's just a terrible kisser or she is or both, and it just all mashed up into this lip-mashing kiss of death. It was so terrible. Colin Firth. Go watch Colin Firth kiss anybody. He is a horrid, horrid kisser. Well, He put, can't do it to save his life. Put him in this group with Melissa McBride and Gary Cole, and you've got the worst three-way kiss job in the history of film and television. Yeah, kiss job's not a thing. Just saying. <laughs> Somebody should make it a thing. It's really weird, but no. Come up with a should. move that you can call a kiss job. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable, and I really don't know why. It may or may not involve <laughs> the band. Uh, so, all right. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. This this episode of TV barely made any sense to me, and uh, uh, I, it was just weird. Now, if this TV show was on my network, yeah. I would cancel it. Oh, yeah. It got one full season, though, it looks like. Yeah. Um, Twist ending, which I'm going to give away right now. Yeah. Melissa McBride's actually alive and in a mental hospital. Yeah. She's in a mental hospital. So somebody in the show figures this out, goes to talk to her, and she's uh, she seems to have very little coherent uh, ability left, right? Yeah, well, she's uh, she's gone simple. It's <laughs> kind of exactly what it was. <laughs> She's just simple now. That's what happens when you drive off a lake. You drive off a, a bridge. You uh, you either die or you survive and everything's fine or you go simple. One of the three. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, what we did see of her in this in this show was okay, though. She, she played simple pretty well. Yeah, and the, the screaming at the beginning was good. That's right. She did a really good scream as they went yeah. off the bridge. It was quite the good scream. She yeah, probably yeah. got hired based on that scream. She's like, you're going to need to scream. Scream. And wear a nurse's outfit. If you can do those two things, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all you need to do is you need to wear, be able to wear, you know, physically be able to wear a nurse's outfit mm-hmm. and scream. 
and kiss Gary Cole really badly. Well, I don't know if that was a requirement, but uh, she nailed it. I, <laughs> I'm going to blame him for that. Yeah. All right, American Gothic, Season 1, Episode 5, Dead to the World. Not great, uh, but if you're a big American Gothic fan, you probably love it already. Or you Not already know good. that. Yeah. Okay, finally, The Mist, Jason. The Mist. We're saving the best for last, if, we're, if, I'm, if I can assume you're going to go with me on that. I would agree with you. I think this was the, probably the best one out of the, the lot that you chose. Yeah, I chose poorly this time. I Not only was Melissa not in some of this stuff, barely, some of it was so bad. So The Mist, uh, did you watch it in black and white, like I said? I watched it in black and white. I think I watched it, I've never seen it in color. I watched it in black and white the first time. Oh, I've this only ever... second viewing of this. I only ever saw it in color before, yeah, and this was my second viewing in black and white. Um, what did you think? Of this movie in, in, well, you've never seen it in color, but generally, what do you think of this movie? I like this movie. It's good I movie. think it's basically, a, you know, we're spoiling this too, right? Yeah, we're going to spoil The Mist. I guess this is the most recent thing on this list, so if you haven't seen Frank Darabont's The Mist, we will spoil it starting now. Essentially, this whole movie, for me, is a public service announcement against murder-suicide. Explain. That's, well, it, you know, horrible things happen. Yes. And uh, scary things happen, and there's a big uh, a mist that comes with monsters in it. So it's a monster mist. And, uh, you know, right at the end, there's uh, four people and a child in a truck. And uh, the main character, what's his name, decides that, or they all decide that uh, we need to shoot everybody, including Jeffrey DeMunn. Thomas Jane. So, yeah, uh, Thomas Jane, that's right. So he shoots the other four people and then runs out of bullets. Mm-hmm. And is unable to shoot himself. And I thought he did a really good job of playing very angry at this point, or you know, sad, upset, angry uh, at having to kill his child and three other people, and not be able to kill himself. So he gets out of the car and screams at the monsters to take him and to kill him and to, you know, end the, his miserable life. And he finds out that the the military comes by and is saving everybody, and everything's going to be okay. What's so amazing about that ending? is how atypical it is of Hollywood and how you could never, ever, like, I guess if you've read the book, but I think the book has a different ending because I've read the book too, but it was a long time ago, but Stephen King novel. Um, Well, now I want to read the book. I did not know that. How come I didn't know this was a Stephen King novel? I'm almost positive. Yeah, it's a Stephen King novel for sure. You got to get that. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, the, the ending of the movie, which I think is different from the book, if I remember correctly, it's just in the movie, it's so atypical of Hollywood, so unexpected. This is the kind of thing you they never see out of a big budget Hollywood movie. Um, and it's handled really well. And you're right. Thomas Jane does a really great job and it's, it's unexpected. It's kind of out of nowhere. You know, you always think that people are going to get rescued. People are going to survive. It's all going to be Okay. But here we have this group of people in a car. They kill, one of them kills them all, tries to kill himself because they have totally lost all hope of being rescued or anything. Yeah. Yet, twist ending, he's rescued right after he's murdered everybody in the car. That's right. But Horrible. But, but through no, you know, not, in no way do you hold it against him, right? And that's what's so amazing about it. I that's, don't. That's true. I don't yeah. think. Um. And the other thing I like about this movie a lot is that they don't hold back on showing you the monsters that are in the mist. You you find out fairly quickly on kind of what they look like, what's in the mist, and why why they're so dangerous, right? 
Yeah, we have that scene early on where there's the tentacles coming in under the garage door in the back of the in the back of the grocery store that they're all stuck in. Now you don't really see the whole monster, but you get a pretty good idea of what it looks like, how it operates, and what's going on out there. It's a tentacle monster. Exactly. And then soon after that, you get those giant like bugs and crickets or whatever they are, like coming to the window, and then you get the bigger ones with wings that look like dinosaurs. And they just don't hold back. It's like they don't put them in the shadows or the darkness all the time, even though there's mist to conceal them. You get to see them, which I really like. In too many monster movies, they don't show you the monster soon enough, in my opinion. Yeah, until the very end. Yeah, and they use that as a big reveal because usually the story is kind of weak, so you ha- so they, they need people to stick around for the monster reveal. In this case, there's nothing weak about the story. The characters are all really good. The monsters are just the danger that they're dealing with. Yep. And there's no reason to keep them hidden because, you know, the real story is how this big group of people stuck in this in this grocery store, it's sort of how their little microcosm of society is falling apart right in front of them, trying to survive in the face of adversity. And uh, anyway, so I really like how they don't hide the monsters from you. Um, and the thing, you know, this movie is is great because it succeeds at being creepy sometimes, thrilling other times, really scary at times. And they, they do all this stuff really, really well. And uh, I'm thinking specifically about the scene where they leave the grocery store to go next door to the pharmacy. It's because they need medicine and supplies. Right. That whole pharmacy sequence is one of the most terrifying things I've yeah, ever it's seen. Horrifying, horrifying. It, because of the nature of the monsters that are in there, and it's it's just genuinely scary for the audience because you don't know what's going to happen. It's dark. It's moody. It's scary. And then when it is revealed, kind of like what's going on in there and what the monsters that are in there that are doing and how they work, and they're basically giant spiders. Yeah. Um, it's it's horrifying. It's just just awful, <laughs> yeah. right? And so like everything they could do right to freak you out as an audience, they do in that scene. And the whole movie's like that. That's just a the best example of it, I think. So in case you couldn't tell, I think The Mist is great. It yeah, it is a really good movie. Now we now Melissa McBride is in this movie. She is. She is. And she plays a a dual kind of well, a single role, but uh it's an important role. Because in the uh, in the scene inside the grocery store, she's saying she has to go uh, because her kids mm-hmm. are left with someone who can't take care of them or something like that. I forget the exact circumstances. I think they're with a babysitter, yeah, or, yeah, or she's got to go take care of her kids. And yep. I think that uh, the way she portrayed this uh, this you know terrified mother, uh, I think she did a really good job of uh, of playing this role at this point. You, you totally believe and you totally sympathize with her, right? It's like, I just want to get back and and know if my kids are okay, Yeah, right? So she, she leaves. Yep. She leaves, and you pretty much just discount her as gone. Like, she left, she's off in the mist, the mist is bad, she's dead. Mm-hmm. Right? And then right at the end, after uh, What's-His-Eyebrows tries to blow his head off but can't and gets upset... And as soon as he gets out of the vehicle and he sees the military show up and a military transport go by with Melissa McBride and her kids in the back of the vehicle. Yeah. You know, if only they had left then, everything would have been all right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 
you know, it speaks to the sort of different types of characters in this movie, you know, and how, how they they really, there was a lot of different ones and they sort of portrayed, they all were portrayed really, really well. And she is another example of that. Like she bookends the movie really nicely by showing up at the beginning and at the end. But just, you know, she's the mother that is just absolutely concerned with nothing else but making sure her kids are safe and getting to them and so on. Thomas Jane is a little bit in that same boat too because he's there with his son, right? And he wants to protect his son and so on. We have the religious fanatic lady who you know in a group like this there'd be one of those in, in real yeah. life. We have the a, only thing I didn't believe is that she got so many follower, followers so quickly. I don't know. In the in the face of this kind of, uh, I don't know, this kind of event where you could easily sort of equate it to biblical end-of-world type stuff, I I don't know. I, especially, especially in certain parts of North America, I think you'd end up with followers pretty fast. Right. But, you know, maybe not, too. They're, you're also busy just trying to survive, so that's it. Um, there the other characters though. There's also like a bunch of like people who are just sort of practical who are, you know, working to stack dog food in front of the windows and put up boards and stuff like that. Uh, um, good conflict between Thomas Jane and his, his neighbor played by the chief from Brooklyn nine, nine. Yep. Which I didn't know before. I forgot. I, you know, like I recognized him from Brooklyn, Brooklyn nine, nine, but I forgot that he was in this and I thought he did a really good job too of playing the, uh, uh, angry neighbor. If he had a different name, I'm not sure, but he was pretty much just angry neighbor. Yeah, you're 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 totally right. But I, the whole dynamic of them, where they had this land dispute, it was revealed, and now they're sort of patching things up and being friends again. But the trust just isn't there, and that comes out as soon as they're in this stressful environment. You know. Yep. Um, I liked that, and um, you know, the, it's funny. The one thing about the mist I didn't love was actually the black and white. I don't think the black and white really added much to this film. Really? Yeah, I think it was kind of cool, and I guess mist is black and white, so it you know it works on it's that level. Gray. It's kind of gray, true. But I think watching it in color was just fine, and I'm not sure the black and white added anything. It, it didn't take anything away, maybe, but it certainly didn't make the movie better. I liked it in black and white. I think I, I rather enjoyed it. Maybe it's because I watched it first in color. You watched it first in black and white. I don't know. Um, I just didn't think the, the black and white contrast was enough. I think for black and white to be really effective, yeah. it has to be high contrast. That, that's Con true. Contrast. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, mist is just kind of gray. So this movie was just sort of gray. It wasn't really a striking black and white transfer. Right. So they, you think they just turned the saturation down and that was it. Yeah, they didn't really go all out to make it to make it a real black and white feature. Whereas I think when they did wo the Walking Dead season uh, pilot in uh, black and white, it looked much better for some reason to me. Maybe they took their time more to to really implement the black and white really well, but in this case they didn't. I don't know. For me, it just didn't really add anything to it. It didn't take away, but it wasn't necessary. It's okay. Yeah. Um, anything else about The Mist before we uh, call it a night here? No. No, no, sir. No, siree. Well, if uh, you listeners have watched any of these things, you've probably seen The Mist out of all this stuff. But if you have any thoughts or comments on anything we watched in our Melissa McBride spotlight, <laughs> which could have been a Denise Crosby spotlight. <laughs> well, it could have been. Oh, you know. Uh, or just random movies I picked. Denise and... Richards spotlight. Yeah, let's do that next time. I'm not a big fan of Denise Richards, but 
whatever. But everybody likes Wild Things. Do they? I've never seen it. It has Kevin Bacon and, right, Kevin Bacon? No, not yeah. Kevin fucking Bacon. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's in it. No, it's uh, Dylan, Matt Dylan, or Matt, oh. what's his name? I thought, no, we had, uh, let me, what's it called? Wild Things. Wild <laughs> Things. I'm pretty sure Kevin Bacon is, yeah, Kevin Bacon's in that. Oh, okay, sorry. I think Matt. It's Kevin Bacon and Matt Dylan. All right. Nev Campbell and Denise Richards. Nev Campbell and Denise Richards have a sex scene in it. And Robert Wagner. Okay, maybe I should see this. You should. You should watch that one, but don't watch the second one. Bill Murray? Yeah, good old Bill Murray, man. All right, maybe I will watch this. What I was trying to say. The covers always kind of bug me. Oh, it's stupid. Yeah. Uh, But that movie was not, I mean, it wasn't good, but it was not terrible. (laughs) It was better than most of the stuff we watched for this list. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, If you have any thoughts on anything we watched in our Melissa McBride spotlight, please send in your comments, and uh, we would love to hear what you thought of any of this stuff. Maybe we're totally wrong. Maybe, you know, Mutant Species was a classic movie that has a huge following out there. I don't know. But if you know, let us know. And uh, that's going to do it for our spotlight and for this podcast. So next time, next week, next Monday, we will be recording our thoughts about the San Diego Comic-Con trailer. Next Monday? A week from today, right? Really? Okay. Yeah, the, the trailer comes out on Friday. You're going to be out of country. Is that okay? We're going to make it work. All right. Like you said last time, I will have the internet somewhere. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're going to make it work. So I'll send you a reminder on the weekend when you should be watching it. And you should do that because on Monday we'll uh, break it down. Okay. Like MC Hammer said, break it down. Was that MC Hammer? I think so. Anywho. uh, It's Hammer time. Yeah, that's right. Break it down. That was him. Okay. Take my word for it. Uh, All right. In the meantime, everyone, if you want to get in touch with us, send your email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead or find us on Twitter at talkingdead. You can also send your uh, voicemails. You can call the line at 1-866-483-9662 or go to our website and click on the send voicemail button. And uh, until next time, My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Checking one, two. I see my form of wave. Form of wave.